All right, what is up and welcome back to the Build A Better You podcast. I'm your host, Austin Chan, and today we are going to be going over five muscle building myths. And now these are probably like the most common ones that I hear nowadays. And obviously the list is very, very extensive. Um, I've been in the fitness industry now for 10, 11 years now. And, you know, I've heard my fair share of BS. I've heard my fair share of like, just like complete whack information. Like I would say... Nowadays, fitness information has definitely taken a huge leap forward. But, you know, like 10 years ago, eight years ago, like things were weird. Like you hear you've heard like so many like wild myths, like some of them are still kind of around today. But for the most part, it's um, it's suppressed or died out thanks to just the age of information where like I think social media has definitely allowed fitness information to be and the obviously the internet itself just like it becoming more and more popular and more um a part of our daily lives that information is just so much more easily accessible now that you know and yeah of course like overall information and then fitness information is definitely included within this that fitness information is just so much more easily accessible now and it's just so much more like um of higher quality because there's so much of it now like everyone can kind of like comment on other people's things and like you know bust misinformation and really you know really make sure that the accurate information more of it is being spread out through like word of mouth and more of it is being um help it's more of it's actually like helping people whereas like before you would only have these like very reputable people and like the only way that they were reputable is either they had very good genetics and they looked very good or that that's basically it like they didn't need to have requisite knowledge they just needed to look the part and also have success in their own sense and somehow that gave them the authority and the you know expertise and knowledge and i put those in air quotes uh to give information to others and to help others and of course like if you are someone who doesn't have the expertise and knowledge who doesn't know all of the foundational um knowledge and approaches and obviously the ability to work with people then obviously you're not going to get other people like phenomenal results you're only going to be able to get a certain part of the population results you know most likely more often than not the people who are very high responders or just genetic outliers to both weight training and fat loss so obviously these people they're going to get amazing results regardless of what method they use so using that as kind of a testimonial is kind of misleading in a sense like by and large most people are not genetic outliers most people do not have like exceptional genetics on the like very high end of the scale to like perform really well and to get really strong and to lose fat really fast so for these people, you can't just apply any method all willy-nilly. For these people, you have to apply the foundational basics and really teach them how they can best um, work with what they have, but also knowing that these foundational basics will work for everyone regardless of age, sex, circumstance, you know, situation, and all that. So, yeah. Um, I don't know where I was going with this, honestly. I'm just, like, rambling on. But, yeah. Oh, yeah. These uh, five common muscle-building myths, yeah. These... Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, what I was going on about was just like how like fitness information and all that was just so like whack like back then. But now it's definitely gotten better. I'd say overall the fitness industry, the IQ itself has gone up over the last, you know, I'd say five to ten years. It definitely started picking up um, like five, six years ago. I think with the onset of Instagram, that was a huge thing because Instagram, Instagram is now the biggest platform in the world. So it has definitely like changed the way that we 
deliver information and connect with each other and all that. So, yeah. So I think social media itself has definitely aided in that. But also with the onset of more information, there's also just proportionately, you know, if we take if we think about the fitness industry as a whole, because it has grown so much, the amount of bad information certainly has gone down. But proportionally, it has increased as well, just because of like the sheer size of the market now, like everyone can can kind of have their own platform. So and it's like, people don't need necessarily need to be filtered out like back then, you know, you'd have to be like exceptionally good in order to pass through all the filters in order to get by word of mouth. But now with social media and all that, there's like an algorithm that pushes out your content, regardless of whether it's accurate or not, it just gets pushed based on the amount of engagement and views that you can generate. And obviously, if you're someone who is uh, better looking, or you're a genetic outlier, then people are more likely to view and like and engage with your content. So that's kind of like a just kind of like an insider like observation on my part in terms of like how social media has played a role in the fitness industry and all that uh but yeah that's um yeah just a little side tangent again but yeah back to the muscle building myths these are generally like the things i hear nowadays um it's definitely not more like the the myths that i've heard like way back when when people talked about like the anabolic window and you know um just like just like weird stuff like regarding nutrition and training um for some reason i can't think of like anything more than that like off the top of my head but i'm sure like more will come up as we talk about this more in the podcast but yeah these are generally myths i hear nowadays just with the onset of more like um so-called evidence-based or research-based fitness now and some people just take it way too far and this can definitely uh, mislead some people just because like you say evidence-based and uh, people will believe you, but we have to also think about in terms of practical application and what and how to best interpret like evidence-based or research-based results because you can interpret it wrong and just totally misrepresent the data and use it and you can bend it to however you want and in order to say whatever you want and that's actually what a lot of fitness people nowadays do because they just simply misrepresent or misinterpret the data because they don't have the knowledge in order to interpret that data. So they'll just pass it on and then people, you know, obviously believe them and they hear that, oh, it's an evidence-based stamp of approval. So this must be accurate. When in reality, it's a skill in itself to in order to interpret research data. So that's why uh, I'm here to talk about this. And yeah, but yeah, let's go ahead and just dive into these muscle building myths. I'm not going to be, these are definitely nothing like super old news, but these are generally, um, it's kind of passed through that filter of like, bro science but also like now we're kind of like stepping into like kind of like more nuanced and to also but yeah hopefully by talking about these topics i'll educate you in probably like busting through through some of the bs that it the more common bs that you hear nowadays like some stuff you obviously know it's like a complete lie when people like probably talk about body but like you need to eat six times a day you need to eat six meals a day chicken broccoli and rice every single meal and you know anabolic window and all that and just all that like ridiculous stuff but these are a bit more like it can be manipulated or it can be hidden it's it's not as like easily spotted nowadays so yeah with that being said let's go ahead and hop into the topic of the podcast so five muscle building myths uh number one is going to be more muscle activation does not mean more muscle growth and so especially within the evidence-based and the research-based fitness community area whatever you want to call it um this is why i don't really market myself as that because like personally 
I can interpret research data, but I'm not very good at it. So I don't market myself as that. And if anything, I don't want to misinterpret data and then be spreading the wrong information. So for me, I just basically follow a lot of uh, people who can actually interpret the research data and they do it in as much of like a non-biased uh, outlook, if that's what you want to call it. And yeah, it, it is much of a non-biased outlook on it as possible in order for me to get the most accurate amount of information I can and that I can ultimately pass on to uh, people like you who are listening to my podcast right now. So yeah, number one... Uh, more muscle activation does not mean more muscle growth. So you'll commonly hear people talk about muscle activation and they'll use this as like a justification for certain exercises. So basically what we want to talk about first is what is muscle activation? So muscle activation is basically uh, typically in a research setting or in a lab setting, it's measured through an EMG device and EMG basically stands for electromyography if I am correct on that. So yeah, EMG stands for electromyography. Basically, it's kind of like pins or yeah devices that they insert into the muscle belly itself, and it basically measures the amount of electrical data that your your nervous system, like your brain or your spinal cord, it sends signals to your muscles, and that's what tells it to contract. Basically, it measures the amount of this like electrical signaling to your muscles, and that's ultimately what um, comes out on the other end as how much muscle activation. Uh, something has and so a lot of evidence-based people will say like oh this exercise has a lot of muscle activation for this exercise or sorry for this muscle so therefore that's going to be mean more muscle activation which means this is a better exercise for more muscle growth however when we talk we also want to get into the nuances of muscle activation so muscle activation doesn't necessarily mean more muscle growth because muscle activate because the the electrical signaling itself is not a direct measurement of the main driver of muscle growth, which is mechanical tension, which is how hard is the muscle actually producing force and contracting against the load. This electrical signaling is basically how you know how much this muscle is activated in a sense, like how much signaling is, how much like um, coordination is your nervous system sending to the muscles. And this is not necessarily a measure of muscle growth. This is just measuring, you know, how much kind of uh, central nervous system activity is this muscle requiring at the moment? And it, I know it's it's kind of like a confusing topic to grasp at first, but we have to yeah we have to realize that you know just because your brain is sending more signals to your muscle doesn't necessarily mean it's contracting harder. Like if you if you think about it, like if you're bicep curling something, and just because you know you're you're feeling it a whole bunch does not necessarily mean that you're causing more muscle growth like you could contract against like a pen you just like flex your hand against a pen really hard and that doesn't mean you're getting a lot of like bicep growth even though on an emg device that might show as a high level of muscle activation we want that that probably has the same amount of muscle activation as if you were like trying to curl 50 pounds so muscle activation is just simply not a good measurement um and one of the things that a lot of people don't understand about muscle activation is that when you are on an unstable surface, you actually generate more muscle activation because you have to coordinate your muscles better in order for you to stabilize. So let's say, you know, the glute medius has a high level of muscle activation when you're doing like a single leg stand because it's trying to contract and really keep yourself balanced. Whereas like if you had a little bit more stability, 
so something say like a split squat or a lunge um you're gonna have a little bit more stability but then you're gonna have less activation but also because you're able to generate a lot more force and you're able to lift more weight you're actually getting more mechanical tension which that means you as long as you're pushing yourself close enough failure and like and training with enough intensity you're able to get enough mechanical tension and that's what ultimately is going to kick off the muscle growth process and all that uh but yeah that that's basically it more muscle activation does not mean more muscle growth so yeah on to the next one again more volume doesn't equal more muscle growth and this is a something that i fell trapped to within like let's say the past three years or so I got down that rabbit hole of like thinking I just need to do more volume for more muscle growth and I didn't understand mechanical tension and all that. And basically, I thought, you know, if I just do more work, then I'll just get more muscle. Like I'll just like train my, push my body even harder. And that that's basically what gets me the results. But this is not the case because if we look at volume, it's on an inverse U curve, which means like it's kind of like an upside down U so when we look at volume in terms of like how much progress and results we're getting um on that lower end like if you don't have enough volume obviously you're not going to see enough muscle growth if you're not pushing yourself hard enough and as you get more and more volume you get more benefits out of it but as you get too much volume it actually drops back down again and you start to see less results and or even no results because you're actually just pushing your body way too hard and way too much which is why you're not getting those results so yeah when we look at it more volume doesn't always necessarily necessarily mean more muscle growth and i'd say the best way to look at volume and it's it's not necessarily like how many sets you're doing but how many effective reps that you're doing so people like to say you know 10 to 20 hard sets or whatever but if you really think about it those sets don't really matter if none of them none of them take are taken close to failure so I like to count volume more so like effective reps. So uh, effective reps are basically like the reps that are closer to failure. Like if you think about it, you did like a pretty hard set of like 10 reps. The first five reps don't really feel too hard. But the last five reps, that's the ones where you're like, okay, I got to focus a little bit harder. I got to push a little bit harder. You know, my heart rate's going to spike up. And it just like feels a lot more intense. Like especially as you try to get like you know, maybe that like 10 rep is like your 10 rep max. So that's like the final 10th rep that you can push absolute all out and you couldn't push out another rep, no matter how hard you tried. That's about five effective reps if you're going to true failure. So that's kind of how I like to count volume. And basically like you can get away with just one, two or three hard sets if like per muscle group, if as long as you're training hard enough. So like, and as you add more and more, personally for me i think as you add more and more sets like it just doesn't feel you just don't feel like pushing as hard like for example if you were told you had to do five sets of like bench press or something and that after that first set you're like man i got four to go so obviously that first set you're not going to push yourself too hard because you you know that you have four more sets to go so you want to kind of save your energy in the tank for those four sets and then Finally, once you get to like maybe like the fourth or fifth set, that's when you, you like really push yourself and go all out. And that's where you see the most uh, stimulus or growth from those last two sets because you're pushing yourself harder because those last two sets are like, okay, these are it. Like I don't have any more, so I should be pushing myself pretty hard. Whereas the first three sets, maybe you're just warming up in a sense. And so 
rather than doing like five, you know, hard sets and a hard, I put hard in air quotes, like why not just do two sets? Like for like personally for me, like most of my programming for my clients, I just do two to three like hard sets. And usually I err on the side of less sets rather than more sets because we want to do the least that we can in order to get the most out of it. So I like, yeah, I, I like to program in terms of efficiency. So I don't like to like program so much volume right out of the gate. I like to do it less and like, are they getting stronger week to week, month to month? It's like, if they're getting that stimulus from as little as possible, then why would I add more? Cause then you're just giving your, giving them or giving yourself more fatigue and you're not really getting enough or not getting that much more out of the exercises or the program itself. So once they, you know, once they have, if they have everything else in check, like nutrition and recovery in check, and and then they're starting to like stall on progress, then maybe I'll consider adding more volume. But other than that, like that's that's pretty much it. I like to start from small to big because then you don't want to burn yourself out and make your body have to recover too much, and then you're just basically just giving yourself like extra fatigue in the end. So yeah, more volume does not mean more muscle growth. And now onto the Myth number three, so just doing the big three, and by the big three, I mean uh, deadlift, squat, and bench, and a bunch of compound movements is enough. So I do want to say this with a grain of salt. Like, just, I'm not saying that just doing compound lifts or just doing the three big uh, powerlifting movements is bad. Um, it definitely has its time and place, but I think in terms of my opinion, for most people's structures, um, like these these movements are just like shitty because when you're doing barbell movements you're basically locking your body into just one like certain plane of movement and this doesn't allow for most people's anatomies to move freely and to move optimally and also like you're only, you're really training a limited amount of muscles like if you really think about it these also these lifts require your require you to create a lot of like internal stability and bracing which means like you literally have to contract so many muscles to keep yourself stable and keep the weight like from falling over and really brace yourself so that you don't injure yourself versus something like you know you're doing leg extensions or a leg press where it keeps you strapped in so then all you can do is just focus on pushing out and hammering out the exercise and actually taking it close to failure whereas like squats deadlifts bench you don't want to take it way too close to failure or else then you're just starting to compensate with other muscle groups and movement patterns. So that's a big reason why I don't like, you know, saying that just doing the big three is enough. I mean, in terms of like, if you like powerlifting, if that's something that you thoroughly enjoy doing, then I'd say definitely go for it and do the big three. But also realizing that that also doesn't cover all of the muscles. Like if you think about the squat, like it's primarily like you get a lot of upper body stability and bracing working those muscles but they're not being worked to a meaningful degree um the main movement like the main muscles that are like generating a lot of force and movement are your quads and your glutes and basically yeah your those two muscles are pretty much doing most of the squat movement and for the deadlift it's going to be like your glutes and your hamstrings and all that depend and also you can get a little bit of quads if you're doing quads and adductors if you're doing like sumo or something but yeah just doing those and yeah even the deadlift like yes your upper back is doing a lot of stability but it's also not generating a lot of force because 
your upper back, you're not necessarily rowing the weight back. You're, a lot of the movement is coming from the legs. The back is just stabilizing, and so it's not getting a lot of stimulus, just simply stabilizing. Like, if you want to grow and strengthen muscles, then you have to be taking it through its full like range of motion. So, yeah. And then, again, with the bench press, you need a lot of bracing and stability, and the main muscles are just going to be, like, the chest and triceps, and so, like, everything else, you have to brace and keep stabilized, but it's not getting worked to a meaningful degree. It's not getting worked through their full ranges of motion. So, as we can see, like, even if you just did those three things, you're missing a lot of, like, upper back movements, a lot of, like, rowing movements or pull-down movements to, like, get pretty much, like, a complete physique. And not even just, like, aesthetics-wise, but just, like, overall health. Like, you want to be training every muscle group just to keep your body balanced and healthy. Or else, if you just train one muscle group too much, then you could develop imbalances, and this could lead to possible injury, um, both from, like, incidental acute or even, like, chronic injuries just because, like, you're not, like, keeping your body in, a, like, a well-balanced state. So, yeah. And also... Um, all right, the second part, uh, thinking like compound movements is just enough. So I'm not going to say like necessarily like compound, just doing compound movements is like not enough. Like you should be always adding a bunch of more exercises. But what I am also saying is that like for muscle growth, especially um, it can be when, when you think about muscle building. Yeah, and this is in the totally in the pure context of muscle building. Like, if you are just trying to be efficient and just get a simply a good workout in, then I would say, yeah, do as many compound movements as you'd like. And as you're just trying to like move as many muscles as possible, you're trying to burn some calories, get some movement in your body, and you know, stay healthy. But if you want to increase your ability to build more muscle, then you need to choose movements that. Um, apply a lot of tension and load onto that whatever specific muscle you're trying to train. Because if you think about combo movements like the deadlift, for example, it uses a lot of muscles at the same time. So what you're basically doing is that like the weight that you're moving, it's getting distributed across all of these little muscles and uh, like just cr quite frankly, a lot of muscles at the same time. So no one muscle is getting worked like a lot so that means no one muscle is going to accumulate back to, again, the enough mechanical tension in order to stimulate muscle growth. So when we're thinking about from a pure muscle growth hypertrophy perspective, we want to be choosing movements that, you know, load whatever spe specific tissue it is you're trying to grow. So for example, like, you know, you do bicep curls because you want to overload the bicep in that movement in order to grow the biceps. You don't do you don't do back movements thinking you're gonna grow your biceps. Like obviously you're going to hit the biceps a little bit in rowing movements, but it's not going to train the biceps to a significant degree because the back is doing the majority of the movement. So you want to be doing more isolation type exercises. Not necessarily staying away from compound lifts. There are good compound lifts and time and place for it but we also want to be choosing movements that, you know, load that specific tissue that we want to do. And that way we can focus attention, accumulate enough mechanical tension and actually get that muscle to grow. So yeah, that's basically, that, that covers it for number three. Um, number four, this one, I hear about it from time to time. So it's going to be squats and leg presses don't work the hamstrings. Um, so 
One of the main reasons why a lot of people think this is because they kind of feel their hamstrings, and I put feel in air quotes, they feel their hamstrings when they're doing squats and leg presses. And what a lot of people don't realize is that, yes, your hamstrings are like are activated, are active, they are contracting during a squat and a leg press. However, because the hamstrings are also a muscle that cross the hip, so they attach to the knee and then they cross the the hip so that's why you can do hip hinging movements and they work the hamstrings but yeah they cross the hip which means they are a biarticulate muscle so they cross two joints at once so that means when two two of those both of those joints are moving at the same time then that muscle is not going to change length so if it attaches at the knee and then it crosses and uh, yeah, attaches at the hip then that means when we're doing something like a squat or a leg press where we're getting simultaneous knee and hip movement then the hamstrings aren't going to be lengthening or shortening because both of these joints are moving at the same time so yeah and again when we want to talk about growing or training a muscle then we want to be taking that muscle through its fully active range of motion and so when two joints are moving at once then it's not changing length all that much so that means it's not going to shorten or lengthen to a meaningful degree and that means it's not going to be working against some sort of load while it's shortening and lengthening. So the squats and the leg press don't work the hamstrings. And yeah, and again, I do want to go back to that point that it is active, it is contracting, but it is isometrically contracting. So it is contracting and activating to a point where, yeah, it's active because it needs to stabilize those two joints in order for you to squat. But also it's not shortening or lengthening under load, which is what we want when we... Uh, want to grow muscle that's why you do bicep curls you go from down all the way down to all the way up you don't like hold it in the middle and thinking you can grow muscle you want to actively shorten and lengthen a muscle if you want to grow it and then last muscle building myth um this one is definitely prevalent and it's kind of a difficult one to address as well but yeah um feeling does not equal an exercise is effective and truth be told unpopular opinion the mind-muscle connection is not as important as you think it is. So, um, yeah, this might ruffle some feathers, but first off, a lot of people like to base feeling or sensation around what exercises they choose, uh, how they perform exercises, and how their workouts go. And this is kind of a bad rabbit hole to jump into because, first off, like you can have a crazy amount of sensation and feeling doing something, but it could be not effective at all if you don't understand the mechanics and the movement and just all like the anatomy and physiology behind it. Like I'm not saying that you have to be uh, like a biomechanics or anatomy expert in order to design your own training program, but you do need to have some kind of foundational knowledge in what muscles are you trying to train? What do those muscles do in your body? And that's basically it. Once you understand that, then you'll base your training around the mechanics of that movement rather than how you feel. Because one of the main problems people when people base feeling around exercise selection and how they perform an exercise is because um, when you have two muscles that are very close to each other, it can feel like one muscle is working when you're doing a certain movement, but in reality, like it's not working at all because of the mechanics and how that movement is done. So, though, so a common. A common one I hear in the industry nowadays is that, you know, 
the abductor machine or you know back back in the day when they would call it like the bad girl machine the one where you open your legs you sit down and you're abducting and opening your legs uh that one it works the glute medius when in fact it it doesn't work the glute medius like the glute medius is not in an advantage position it's actually works your piriformis which is one of your deeper hip muscles so yeah and the, the one of the reasons why people like argue for it is because they're like I feel it so much in my glutes when in reality the piriformis is one of the deep hip muscles that sit underneath the glute medius so it can be confusing you might think that it is working the glute medius when in fact it's working the piriformis and the reason why it feels like that is because those muscles are pretty much right next to each other so that's why it feels like that and also another one um people like another common one uh people who do uh, the lat pull downs and it's it's honestly I don't think it's named well um, it's mistakenly named because the lat pull down doesn't actually put your lats in the most advantageous position in order to contract and move load against um, but it also feels like the lats are working a lot when you're doing that movement when in fact it's the primary mover is the teres major so that one if you look it up the teres major is basically like it attaches from like your upper arm to kind of like your scapula. So it basically just pulls down and in, pulls your arms down and in. And so that muscle also sits right over the the lats. So that's why it can feel like your lats are working, but it's actually that part of the muscle, which is not lats. So yeah, and then it's all, you just have to understand that what is the prime mover? Because if you think about your muscles and your anatomy and all that, basically how all that works is that your body is basically just a bunch of levers and pulley systems. And if you think about it, like your your all your muscles do is bring point A and point B of your body closer to each other. So when we think about exercises, if you want to be training a certain muscle, then you have to understand what that muscle does, which two points does it attach to, and how does it bring those two points closer together? And from then, we can start to select movements that best line up that muscle to do the most amount of work. And then from there, that's and then from there, just you know, train hard enough so that that muscle gets enough mechanical tension. And then basically, that's what kicks off the muscle growth process and all that. And yeah, you don't need to know like too much about anatomy, physiology, and biomechanics. I mean, it certainly does help, but you don't have to be a complete expert at it. And just knowing the basics, knowing how your body works will get you pretty far. And also, I mean, if you want to be making improvements in certain areas, I think you should be investing time and possibly money into learning more about it. If like, especially you want to get the most out of your training program, especially if this is something that you want to improve at and get better at throughout your life. So yeah, that's something to consider, you know, a lot of good educational courses and content out there. Just, you just got to make sure that you're following the right stuff, but yeah, that about covers all I wanted to cover. Um, oh, I did forget about the mind-muscle connection. So mind-muscle connection is not as important as you think because, again, when we solely base our training and you know workouts and exercise selection on feeling and you don't understand the mechanics and the, like, the reasons why behind you're choosing certain movements, and then you start to develop like, okay, so like, like the abductor machine, for example, because you're thinking it's it's working the glute medius. You're going to associate that feeling or that burn or that sensation you get with working the glute medius. So you're just going to be chasing, forever be chasing like movements that give you that same feeling. And whereas like 
that's not where the problem is. The problem is because that movement itself is not um, working the right muscles. So you have to like kind of like kind of unlearn that sensation in a sense once you start realizing the like how it actually how it's actually supposed to feel when you're working the right muscle. But it's just one of those things where like the more you do it, the more it's gonna be ingrained within your your body, and so your mind muscle connection when you don't understand things you're actually going to form bad mind muscle connections and you're forever going to associate that feeling with the feeling of working your glute medius and again this is not what we want when you start asso- when you start forming those bad associations then it's going to lead you down this rabbit hole of choosing bad exercises and you're going to forever associate that feeling until you know some people don't ever learn but hopefully i'm hoping a lot of people actually learn the how like properly feels and even then like you don't want to base it too much because then you just start chasing feeling rather than focusing on you know what muscle am i trying to work what does this muscle do so i think it's better to learn how a movement uh looks rather than how it feels so that's why i say mind muscle connection is not important because a lot of people who base it on this don't really understand like how it's actually supposed to feel so they'll teach themselves these bad movement patterns and they'll give themselves a false kind of like sense of how something is supposed to feel when it's not really supposed to feel like that at all. So that's why I say mind muscle connection is not important. Um, and if anything, start working your mechanics and then you can maybe consider like mind muscle connection after you have like a stronger understanding of that. So yeah, that about covers all of the muscle building myths. That's about everything I wanted to talk about. But yeah, thank you so much for listening to me ramble on about muscle building for about half an hour now. So yeah, thank you so much. Uh, Be sure to leave a five-star review if you're enjoying the content that I'm putting out on this podcast. Uh, Written review definitely helps as well. Definitely helps me know that uh, specifically what type of content you're enjoying, what type of content you want to see more of. But yeah, thank you so much for listening, and I will catch you in the next one.